Thanks for listening. We're on to uh, episode 16 of the podcast. In studio today, we have Jesse and Ashley Hammer, an entrepreneurial duo from Lake Country, BC. They've got three businesses between them, and it's quite an interesting story from a very, very inspirational couple. Yeah, really excited to sit down with the two of them. They've been through uh, quite a few entrepreneurial journeys and they are just getting started with uh, with a few new ones here and they've got quite a few big years ahead of them. But it's it's been interesting to hear how they got started, where they're at right now and and what they're really striving towards. Yeah, we got like kind of a crash course on, you know, how entrepreneurial spirit and, and just being entrepreneurial works even when you're a couple because often you just hear of like oh that guy was an entrepreneur that gal was an entrepreneur but really it's about supporting each other and really it was like you know city girl meets country guy and they hit it off and they were just they just ended up being this dynamic duo that couldn't stop thinking about each other and ended up moving and starting these businesses together and and to hear that support system there there's a lot more at play than just you know their businesses there's a whole life that they're sharing together so i found it really really interesting yeah i mean we as usual we hit a lot of really good topics uh, on this episode we got accountability we got positivity we got um just how to move forward and and keep organized with your business that was uh fairly interesting as well but yeah that pretty much does it without further ado here is our conversation with jesse and ashley Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having yeah, us. Yeah, How's your guys' you. day going so far? Great. So far, so good. Yep. Busy, busy. You Excited betcha. for the weekend? Uh, yeah. Jesse's going to the boat show in Van tomorrow. Oh, nice. What does that entail? Uh, just just a day trip. Boats. Yeah, yeah. Everything, uh, hopefully some some tournament boats down there, fishing, you name it, right up to the 50, 60, 70 foot yachts. So holy. Yeah, it's good to dream. Where is that? Uh, down at BC Place, I think. Sweet. And uh, they've got boat tours on uh, Granville Island. So that's should be cool. Good. Yeah. You get so, to go on them and everything? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's like uh, I read in some of our, you know, pre-show prep, it's like country boy meets meets city girl. Yes. So he's like throwing you into all this stuff pretty much. Yes. Like, that's think, awesome. I think that's fair to say. I shot, uh, you know, my first gun after I moved in with him. I learned how to ride a two-wheeled bike. It was a little wobbly, but I got off going. So I was definitely like city mouse. And Jess was, has always been the country guy growing up on a farm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we brought you guys on because you're an entrepreneurial duo. Um, it's really cool to see not only – we have had entrepreneurs on the show before – Oh, there goes one. Um, <laughs> we have had entrepreneurs on the show, but very seldom do we get a couple, uh, you know, partners in life that also have taken the entrepreneurial route. So that was kind of interesting to us. So we'd love to kind of touch on how that works. Um, but first, like we usually like to get into it, um, kind of describing what your backgrounds are. So do you guys want to each go? It doesn't have to be t- too long, but kind of describe where you came from and describe the roots. We lo- love to connect the listeners with humble roots to show that, hey, anybody can can do these things if they set their mind to it, uh, right? That's such a great point to make. So Jesse and I are both born and raised uh, in Ontario. I was born in Brantford. He was born in Cambridge. And we never crossed paths ever uh, until we were in our adult years. So I always dreamed of being a receptionist, believe it or not. I was so uh, just uh, 
enthralled with like the gatekeeper. Like that was my high standard. I'm going to be a receptionist one day. Yeah. Sign like 500 pieces of paper, answer the phones. This is going to be me. So I actually got my uh, start as a graphic designer. I went to school for graphic design and marketing and came out of school right around the time that the market crashed. So everyone was firing their graphic designers. And I was literally a starving artist. So I started bartending and kind of that I'll bartend for one year theory. And seven years later, I was still bartending. (laughs) And so I got... That's all too common in that industry, isn't it? It is. Well, the money is so great. And I think... And it almost has that entrepreneurial vibe. You make them... You work as many hours as you want. And you make the money that you really uh, deserve when you invest your time into your clients. I want to be a bartender right now, like honestly. Yeah. Like, I've, th- I've thought about just like getting a job like on some some nights out of the week or something like that. Just It'd be to, a riot. Yeah, just to give it a go, you know, and like just like you said, for the networking purpose and like to be able to invest in your clients and stuff like that, get to know more people in the community. You really wield your skills on meeting different people in different walks of life too. You get the crazy bachelorette party and you get the regulars and you get the guy who is just in for his like cheap beer night and you get to hear their stories and it really is humbling to hear where people are coming from, where they're going, and to see them grow over those seven years as you're serving them. And I actually got plucked from my bartending stardom by an insurance agent who is, you know, is the mentor that I didn't know was my mentor at the time. So I worked for Kim for many years. She hired by personality instead of hiring by skill. So she hired a fish and chips waitress, a bartender, a bank teller, an underwriter, nobody who had ever sold insurance and had one of the most successful state farm agencies in Ontario. And so that was really cool for me to have a mentor that taught me the productivity and accountability that I teach my clients now today as a consultant. But it was very cool. Um, that's actually how I met Jesse. Was that I was his State Farm agent, and oh, so you went through all those years of bartending and hadn't even met. We'd never met, and you guys are from the same city. Yeah, betcha. What are the did chances she, of that? Did she insure your yacht or? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> actually, better I, than that. <laughs> yeah, I had a truck. Uh, a truck got stolen, and oh. uh, and Ash was the rep who was handling my claim, so. For the low, low price of $5,000, I got that truck stolen. No, I'm totally kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. That was my path. Yeah, Yeah. that's what he he always says. But by fluke, and I'm very, I'm a big believer in serendipity and fate, and we used to run our office by alphabet split, by month, by job. I happened to be the claim rep for the last name H for that month. And that was the month his truck got stolen and we really hit it off. So the reason I say that is because I probably still would be selling insurance today. It was an amazing career. I have only positive things to say about the experience. But Jesse left and came out to BC and I'll let him tell that story. But I actually followed him. So I left my career behind and we moved out here together. And that's how I ended up working for the bank. Um, I was working for a power sports company. I'm terrible at power sports sales. That is the one thing I can tell you. <laughs> Good at sales, just not power you sports betcha. sales. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's break it. What, what's a power sport? So like quads and dirt bikes and, okay. and, and pieces and parts that go with those things. So the best um, thing that I had going for me was that I could fake it until I made it. So when someone would come in and say, hey, I need a I need a filter for my KTM bike. I would be on the computer saying, just let me finish up what I'm doing. Just kidding. I'm actually Googling what filter you need. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So fake it till you make it. Totally. I was terrible at the job. It was so discouraging to be bad at something, but so humbling to realize I can't do this forever. And it took being at that 
rock bottom, I'll call it, to take a 100% commission job with the bank in a town I had lived in for 90 days. Oh, man. I know. Cool, hey? Yeah, because normally, you know, with commission jobs, that, that was the benefit to me going into real estate when I was young, but I was in a town that I was born in. So automatically you get a little bit of a leg up on even other professionals that come in and it's like, I don't know anybody here. So that's pretty ballsy actually. Yeah. So I started with a major bank in December of 14 and it was phenomenal and we were 100% commissioned off the bat and there's... Uh, something really strengthening in your relationship when you're relying on each other for so many things like uh, mental support and that financial support, knowing that if I have a bad month, you know, I've, my spouse has my back and we've supported each other through many transitions now being both entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yeah. It ebbs and flows for sure. Absolutely. There, you know, it's kind of like the on top of the world. Oh, there's another one. <laughs> when another thing to work another on. one is we have soundproofing uh, <laughs> foam pads that are around the, uh, the walls right now. We're trying them out and they keep falling. So it's a, closing right. in. It's a, new, closing. it's a new recording setup. Um, we'll have an announcement to do with that um, fairly soon. But this setup, we have these foam pads because this room is so big and the, the foam pads help to keep the sound um, acoustic and, and proper. Otherwise it ends up just being this like kind of, you know, it sounds like you're in a, well, a sea can, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> well, so I'm going to relate it to that. So, <laughs> yeah. That's so awesome. So, lender okay. then. Yeah. What is the weirdest thing you lended on? So I was a residential lender for a major bank, so I could so only mortgage. lend houses. You betcha. I could oh, do houses. Okay. All right. I was hoping for like some crazy story, like a shaggy I, wagon or something. You know? I would have people <laughs> ask for very strange things. and I'd So say, what's the strangest thing somebody asked for? <sighs> a few things. One was, a, it's called a panabode home. It's like a log home. Okay. But the person had built it, deconstructed it, and wanted me to finance all of the pieces that were essentially back in a box. Like, that doesn't <laughs> doesn't work that way actually <laughs> that was a good one and um foreclosures were always a beast right when you finance on a foreclosure you really have no idea what you're getting yourself into so i did win a few uh, financing foreclosures for clients but then when they take possession you really have no idea what you're getting yourself into so sometimes you have a hoarder situation or water damage or, or those stuff like that but overall i had a pretty good run with with great clients. I was definitely more of like that first time home buyer specialist. I really loved educating people. So I was more like the Vernon market, a little less of the Kelowna market. Right. Interesting. So yourself, you've got, you're from the same city in Ontario, but completely different upbringing by the sounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit different for sure. Um, I was raised in the city up until I was about 11 years old and we moved out to the farm and uh, all of my aunts and uncles, my uh, most of my my family grew up on a farm as well, and we we uh, moved into a house about one concession over, and uh, moved on to forty six acres, and and then from there we just kept farming and and you know helping other farmers out, taking over whatever land we could lease, and and you know trying to just build up our acreage so that we could you could cash crop a little bit more and more. Entrepreneurial. Very um, cool. Okay. Yeah. Hardworking background. Uh, you know, we would uh, catch the bus in the morning at about 10 after seven. We'd get dropped off at 20 after four in the afternoon. And then from there, if, uh, if the dogs were, if the dogs weren't out front, if you didn't see them, they were with my, my dad who was probably splitting wood or cutting back some tree lines could be planting. It depended on the season. So you would just put your work boots on and get to it. So that was a normal day today 
for us. Uh, and then of course, all the fun stuff came along with it. We got all, you know, whatever animals you wanted. We had anything from goats and sheep to chickens, every, pretty much everything but cows. We had everything but cattle. Just everything but to, cows. Hey? Yeah. What's, <laughs> the str- what's the strangest animal you had? <laughs> he loves the strangest. We, uh, I, I would have to say kid goats. Oh, they were, oh, yeah. they were, they were fun. They're crazy. They just kid jump goats? around. Hey? They do. Yeah, I, yeah. I, uh, I got about, I think I had seven kid goats in February and it was too cold to put them in the barn. So when my parents got home, they were in the basement. Uh, uh, <laughs> that was a good laugh. <laughs> they were not excited, but um, but you had to keep them warm. So we were still bottle feeding all the all the kids, and would wake up and you know mix uh, mix up some milk and go down and feed the feed the little ones and and do that a few times a day, three to four times a day, and until they were big enough to put them out in the barn. It was only about a week until it warmed up enough to get him out. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. And now to this day, there's only one food that Jesse cannot eat. Yeah, it's it's anything goat related. Goat just cheese. Can't do it. Any, can't just do the it. smell no. of goat. Oh, no. him. Yeah. yeah. Really? Eh? Just yeah. ruined you. Eh? It did. The, the taste and the smell. It's a it's a correlation. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The smell. So. It's weird how like smells bring you back to that. It's either like something nostalgic or it's like oh, never again. Yeah, never. Not, not, not making that mistake again. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so yeah, humble roots taught you a lot. What what did you do after that? So, how long did you farm for? Like until what age? Pretty much until you graduated, or um, up until I was about twenty five. Pretty much until I left. Um, so I was I stayed at home and helped out on the farm wherever we could. It wasn't you know huge tasks. It wasn't a twenty four seven thing. It was usually more seasonal than anything. Uh, when crops had to go in or come off, or if you had to prep fields or just getting firewood for the season, that was usually a, a pretty big task as well. Okay. Um, and aside from that, uh, I was working full time as well. So I started working when I was about twelve years old. Um, started in a in a performance shop. <laughs> <laughs> One of us is good at that. <laughs> awesome. I started uh, polishing motorcycles for five dollars an hour. Um, started as a you know take your kid to school day, but both my parents worked at uh, businesses where I couldn't couldn't go there. So um, due to age age related like uh, restrictions, yeah. so I went uh, I went to the the nearest motorcycle shop and worked there for a day, and and that's where I started after after the season was out and winter came. I I wound up going uh, downstairs. There was a machine shop, and that's where I started running a CNC lathe and mill as a kid and, and stayed there for a, a few years until I, uh, I moved from there to a, another power sports company called Royal Distributing. <laughs> oh man, just get rid of this stuff. It's too much. Facebook live. <laughs> Preparation. You cannot make this shit up. No, no. It's the real in the show. Sorry guys. So, Not at all. Performing shop. So yeah, here we are at Royal Distributing, and it was uh, it was actually really humbling to work at a place like that. I had never done sales. I didn't have an opportunity to interact with a lot of people during a day, and and I love talking to people, anybody about anything. Um, I had an opportunity to meet a ton of really interesting people, anywhere from um, you know the backyard mechanics right up to the the wealthiest of families coming in to outfit their entire family. Uh, and anything in between that. So it was it was really good to be able to interact and, and kind of on the same scale as a bartending bartender aspect, you really got a feel for who you're talking with and you had to figure out what they wanted and, and how to deliver 
within the first 30 seconds of a conversation, know who you're talking to and, uh, and what's acceptable and what's not and, and, and how to sometimes guide a conversation. Cause you're a lot of times with that customer for one hour to sometimes six or seven hours. Um, so that's, yeah, from there I stepped into, uh, I stepped basically got out of, out of sales and I wound up starting an electrical apprenticeship and, and from there it, uh, it was, it was full on electrical up until now. So still doing the same, same grind and just, you know, forever honing the, the electrical skills. What made you decide to make the move, uh, to BC? Cause you, you were clearly, you were an electrician in Ontario at this point. Yep. Uh, so what made you decide to, when did you start the business? Uh, I started the business in 2016, I believe. Um, I wanted to move to BC simply to see the mountains. I had always, I was an avid snowmobiler back home. Uh, always saw mountain sledders and, and all these famous guys just doing the craziest stunts and just the craziest backcountry riding you can imagine. And I, I always wanted to do that. So that was a huge draw coming out here. So not only the scenery, but just the availability to do whatever sport you want to do, sometimes all at the same time in the same season. Um, so that was the biggest draw. Once I got out here and started working and, and found that there was a lot of work and things were happening out here and uh, the people were just so solid, it uh, everything just fell into line and, and I wound up working down in the in the Okanagan here and and set some roots. So, did you know anybody in the Okanagan at first, or like what? How did you stumble across this place? I left Ontario without knowing a soul uh, yeah. anywhere. Not even family or anything. No, here. Nobody. Money no. In the pocket. But did you know? Did you know where you were gonna move, or were you just like, I'm just gonna drive to BC <laughs> and like pick a spot? Like, I've yeah, I just packed the no truck way. and, and took serious. off. Yeah, it oh, was. Uh, I knew I wanted ballsy. to go west, and I, all my friends said, "Go to Calgary. It's you know, there's lots of work. Oh, it's Cowtown and." And, uh, you've, you know, you used to do some cowboy and you'll, you'll love it there. Well, it was just no a massive city. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a, like a mini Toronto. Oh yeah. So I, uh, I, I was there for a few months and I, I wound up getting into camp. Like I worked for a Hula Electric and Kamloops and, and, uh, worked for a really great group of guys there. And basically I just bounced around and whatever, wherever work was, I would just go. So I pretty much took on a never say no mindset and just just went. So how so, long were you working before you started your business? So you packed everything up in what year? I packed up and left in 20, in the fall of 2012. 2012. So you had yeah. about four years till you decided to start your business. Yeah. And what was, what was the main driver for that? Um, it got to a point where I was, wasn't liking being told what to do anymore. Um, so it was, it was time to Sounds either. familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was either, uh, kind of put up and shut up or, or get out there and get at it. See if you can do it for yourself. Yep. Yeah. So, um, I didn't get along with my, my last manager. And so that was the, that was the final nail in the coffin. So that was the push that I needed though, without knowing it. So like, what were the main things, obviously without going into it too deeply, but it's really interesting to see like when you're working for somebody, uh, you don't always know like the stuff that they have to go through until you're put into that situation. Was there a lot of stuff that you experienced with your manager that you didn't get along with that you were like, wow, I'm never going to do this when it comes to me being the, in the leadership position? Like what were some main traits? I would have to say um, putting the guys first, like the people who are with you are, they're your world. They're without the people around yeah. you, you have nothing. Like you can be the best at what you do, but if you don't have somebody else or multiple people to to help you with that or back you up on that, whatever it is that you're doing, you're, you're useless. Um, you need to have people with you. 
and you need to treat them accordingly. Can treat them more. how you want to be treated pretty much or better. So, so then with that, how long did it take? So you decided to start your own business. How long did it take before you started to bring more people on? Uh, it was in the first three months, I would say. I, I brought on one guy and we've stayed small. Um, we're, we've been in a transitional mode kind of forever looking at the, the botany box side of things. And we haven't wanted to sprawl out too much into the residential world. I know that uh, it's, it's hopping right now, but our focus is more on commercial and industrial stuff. So troubleshooting, uh, automation, any kind of processes, which I know there's not a lot of here in BC coming from Ontario. There was a ton, um, but that's the focus that we're trying to take. Good so examples, a little more like breweries, wineries, cherry farms, oh, cool. like okay. processes. Jesse's very smart when it comes to controls. So a little more of like a niche market then, like not quite as big out here in general. Not usually, like if someone's going to own an electrician, uh, an electrical company, they're not going to go industrial first most of the time. Right. It's it's definitely harder to get into that market. Okay. Um, you know, you need to be around for what seems like a, a short period of time at least to get your foot in the door. And uh, usually it's in a, in a time of need when somebody needs something done and you can come in and, and commit and get the job done and on time or, or quickly at least and uh, for a reasonable price that that gains you customers. So that's what we've been doing. We've been actively focusing on taking care of customers and just doing good work. It's and, interesting. And, and so Ashley followed you when? Like did you guys move out here together? <laughs> no. It, it was a little bit after, right? So so how did that process work? Like what was the what, what conversations were going on back and forth where Ashley's like, well, screw this. I'm just going to move there too. Well, you have to imagine small time city mouse meets this country guy who swoops her off her feet. And we have about a, a summer together of like quadding and jumping in the quarry and just like doing things that country music is made of is what I thought. I'm from the city. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, this is a normal day on the Does farm, Does he have a right? big green tractor? Actually, he was at our wedding. No yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. Send you the photo. Yeah, we'll send you the photo. That's like awesome. Said, you can't make this shit up. No. No. <laughs> no. But when someone says to you, so I'm going to drive across the country, I'd like to move west, not even with a specific destination or a career path or an idea of what he was going to do, I was like, I'm totally crazy about you. You're so awesome. I can't leave my family behind. And that's, we stayed friends for, so you would have left in the fall of 12. Yeah. And we stayed friends through it and had our own lives. And I bought a house and just found some space out here. Always with that friendship and always thinking like, I wonder what the other person's up to. Yeah. Lost a bit of touch for, a, you know, a while. Like once it's pretty out of sight, out of mind when you're, you know, 4,500 well, clicks away. It's easy to be out of sight. Yeah. Out of that's mind. right. It's tough to fall out of touch, I bet. Yeah. So we, you know, we kept in touch as best we could. and uh, Another switchboard fluke. Yeah. Out of the blue, I, I got a, I missed a phone call from State Farm. I still had insurance uh, back in Ontario. And when I phoned in, I, Ash, is, uh, Ash picked up the phone. and I, I was uh, instructed by all of my colleagues yelling, oh, my God, look who it is. Pick up the phone. No way. Yeah, I kid you not. All the girls were like, pick up that phone. Thank you for calling State Farm. This is Ashley speaking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it seemed on your end like so, synchronicity was really. It was uh, still yeah. synchronicity, but yeah. it was just so cool. And we picked up right where we had left off. He's like, what's new? How's the house? He's like, How's life? so they stole my truck again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was that you? <laughs> yeah. 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 Got me got twice. Tabs. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was, um, that would have been 13. April of 
April of 14. 14. Yeah. April of 14. And it so, was a whirlwind so from there. Cool. Yeah, I flew home. Um, I actually had three days to vacate the the place that I was renting. So it lined up when I got back from Ontario. I had three days to find a place and move out. Um, I still flew back to Ontario <laughs> uh, before this. Such so. a gypsy. Eh? Yeah. He's like, everything will happen as it's, it's like, supposed yeah. to happen. Yeah. I found a place, uh, the, the house that we're living in right now, uh, we actually found on MLS when we were back in Ontario. I was visiting and looking for places to rent and it was... Uh, Rent was so expensive; it was cheaper to right. cheaper to buy a place with a suite. And remember, Shelby, so. this was 2014, so you can imagine what the prices of houses were then compared to yeah. To and now. the rentals yeah. were still pretty high. Yeah, like they were. They're high now, but they were high then too, right? They, so they were holding in comparison to the to the mortgage prices. Right, right. So it just worked out really well, and and I bought not you know not knowing that it was in a in a slight downturn at the time. Not being from here, it was my first time ever in the valley. I I had never been down. Um, the highway from from Vernon south. I had only ever been here to Kelowna, that is, one time. Oh, wow. Um, and Oyama's kind side. of hidden, right? Oyama's yeah, I'd never heard of Oyama. In. Like, it was finding, finding Oyama was unbelievable. It's like a needle in a haystack, but, um, you know, having a burger at the OKF Grill standing on the beach in May. Looking Thank south you. down the lake. I'm like, are you kidding me? What is this is place? Is that not yeah. the best burger shop? Oh, yeah. Travis oh, yeah. is killing it. I, yeah. I don't know how many people I've told about that. I really, like, that is just, oh, yeah. if, no words. The only thing it's that no beats words. that for me is the burrito, but it's pretty much a secret. If you asked for a hammerito, you might get one just because we've got a bit of pull down there. Yeah, I, I'm surprised <laughs> I haven't turned into a burrito yet. <laughs> yeah. 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 We live so close to those guys. Oh, yeah. man, that's oh, dangerous. Yeah, that's so dangerous. good. Yeah, it's, so, oh, it's so good to go down there. But it's so funny. He actually was sitting in the sunroom of his parents' house going, I don't know if I should put an offer on this house. And being the fate lovers that we are, I said, even if we don't end up together, you shouldn't stop yourself from buying a house that, you know, that you want, that is where you want, that's calling to you. The first photo was the lake, was Wood Lake on the listing. Oh, and so, you're like sold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh man. In Ontario, basically the first thing that went through my mind is why, why is this so price so low? Because back home, it, you just can't find that. You don't get property you don't over get the that. water. You don't get a place that, with that proximity to the lake, that you can still work in two towns, and have a normal Holy. life without being three hours away it. from from population. Going so, to the beach for us in Ontario was an hour and a half plus traffic. Like just going to the beach for a day was an hour beach, and a half. And the beaches there are not the beaches. They're here. not. <laughs> and now right. we walk. No. We walk from the house down to Travis's, pretty much down to OKF Girl. Yeah, well, I imagine the mountains there were not even close to the same either, right? Because there's some mountainous regions in Ontario, you can't call but they're those not mountains. They're the not, they're not those yeah. bumps, little hills. The ski yeah, hill is like, like half... little bumps. <laughs> yeah, bumps in the horizon. Yeah, <laughs> it was more shield, like uh, like northern shield, kind of uh, all rock, and you know, it is northern Ontario is a beautiful place. Don't get me wrong. If if it wasn't out west, it would be it would be northern Ontario, pretty much anywhere north of Barrie. So you get into like yeah. cottage country and all the way up and across like Thunder Bay is a, again, another beautiful spot. You can get off grid so quick and get into, you know, I'll call it the back country without elevation, right. but uh, you can get into the sticks and it's, it's, uh, there's something nice about it when you're out of cell reception and just uh, that peaceful, that quiet. It's, it's really cool. There's a lot of places that we found driving across from Ontario to, to hear that it's, 
It's yeah. Canada has a lot of beautiful places to offer, especially once you get, you know, out of the mindset of following everybody else to the campsites. Definitely. Look for the path, look for the spots where no one else is, is prepared to go and, and, and camp. <laughs> well, it seems like you got pulled, like both of you got pulled to that lake country direction. I only visited once before I moved. So Jesse visited me in May in Ontario. And then he's like, just come and see, like, just come see what, what it's like here. <laughs> Cause he knew. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, just <laughs> yeah. go in for a vacation. And he was living one street behind the house that he bought just in a basement suite. But I say just, it was the most um, like quaint, magical little basement suite with like a hammock and like vines hanging over it. It was like a movie. It was cool. Haven. Yeah, it was wicked. Cool. Yeah. Like a bachelor suite, um, all open concept, but it was brand new and stare, again, staring at the lake with the covered oh, walk out. And I like didn't a even stand deck. a chance, you guys. No. No. He no had chance. that whole thing planned. Yeah. Miles, like, yeah. Oh, man, that's awesome. I landed on the 17th of July. I stayed for 10 days. I flew home to Ontario. I quit both of my jobs. I listed my house for rent. I called a moving truck. And six weeks later, Jess flew in and drove me across the country. And I've been a resident of British Columbia ever since. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That, was that's that fast? super cool. And, you know, we kind of just said the worst that happens is you go home, this being home now. But at the time, it was like... I never really thought taking that big leap, the scariest thing that happens is you go back to Ontario. And really, it's not a defeat. It's just you had an adventure. And now being out here with two, three companies between the two of us, it's so funny to look back and think how scared I was. And I had someone on the other side for me. Yeah. Now you got roots. Roots. Yeah. <laughs> That's for Landed. sure. So, yeah. Ashley, you went into commission sales. Yes. And Jesse is working. Um, so at that point, did you have your own company? What, no. what year was that that the was company was started? 2016. 16? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I started with uh, the bank in 2014. Right. So you had a steady paycheck yes. at least while yes. you were doing commission sales. So yep. the teamwork makes sense. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. And um, then two years in, I had the steady paycheck and... And it was complete role reversal. He was coming home saying, I just am not happy with what I'm doing. And I remember saying the first time, you can quit your job. He's like, what do you mean I can quit my job? He's like, what do you want to do? He's like, the same thing, but for myself. I'm like, so do it then. Worst that happens is you go get a job. And I think that's people get so scared of the what if or the fear in any in any entrepreneurial or sales position. But you can always go back to getting a job. They make them every day. So That's a cool philosophy, actually. It really is. Yeah. It's tough to get out of the mindset of, of the nine to five, you know, daily grind, I'll well, call it. Well, I find the difficulty is, is not necessarily uh, fear for yourself, but it's always usually like, who are you afraid to fail in front of? Um, and that's the, that's the biggest thing that tends to hold people back. And you're totally right. Like you being one of probably the main people, actually, that uh, he didn't want to fail in front of most likely, whether it's subconscious or conscious, by you yep. being able to, to give him that push you kind of almost get that permission personally to be like, yeah, you know, you're right. That's so, so funny. And then tables yeah. again in the fall of last year when the bank just wasn't fulfilling me anymore and I didn't feel like I was helping people. The mortgage rules were so strict. I was telling first-time homebuyers they could have a $55,000 mortgage and it was heartbreaking. People were crying at my desk and I came home and I said to Jesse, I can't do this. And he said, you can quit your job. And it was yeah. like, here we are again. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, get out of there. Full it's circle. so fun, yeah. And it's uh, very, um, it just makes my heart really happy that we've been there for each other on more than one flip-flop. Like even me moving out here and really suffering. I was homesick when I got here. 
and then changing jobs and just being there for each other. I think it, there is something cool about being dual entrepreneurs in the Valley. We literally share 12 feet of live edge desk and we run three companies. Yep. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, that's cool. So it, it's neat too, because it's it, people that aren't naturally entrepreneurial. It's like, it, you don't just like get born that way. You don't, you're not born that way at all. It's something that you almost have to like psych yourself into at times. But the fact that you guys had that support system both ways is really interesting because it's like both times or all three times, I guess, because it went one, two. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> it's like showing your partner that faith where it's like, I have faith in you. Just go do it. Yep. Just go execute it. I don't necessarily, I mean, I'm sure there's some ways it's like, I do care how you do it because I'll be there to help you. But at the end of the day, it's like, figure it out. I believe in you to figure it out. So go and do it. Like what's, what's so many people that need happen? that. The amount of people that are worried about what their their parents think, spouse oh, thinks, whatever. It's like, oh my goodness. It's like, just do it. It's it's sad, but it's, it's inspirational. And that's one of the reasons we, I wanted to have you guys on here to like see that and to, to show people that, look, we, we all started somewhere, but we all need to have faith in each other, whether it's your spouse or your family or, you know, your business partners, like whatever it happens to be, right? And generally naysayers are just deflecting their own fear on you. Like when I said I was going to start a consulting firm, they're like, oh, do you think that that's going to be successful? Do you think you have enough knowledge to offer people? And it's their fear that maybe they couldn't do that or they, they fear for you to not succeed. And it's generally um, not so much our parents. We come from two families. Uh, both sets of parents work to nine to fives. So we don't have entrepreneurial roots in our families per se. Yours more than mine, being that you have the farm background and that really hardworking labor. Right. But I think they feared for us a little bit. Like, what do you mean you're not going to have a pension or, or steady paychecks? What do you mean you don't get 40 hours times X amount of dollars at the end of the week, right? Yeah. The no. idea of go to school, get a good job. Save, 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 and then retire happily. Those, in my mind, the way that I want to retire, that's completely so far out the window. It's not even funny. Um, that would almost be a death sentence to you at this point. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I don't think that it works right now. Like it has, you know, it worked in the 70s and the 80s. It's not working right now. That's a good point. There's a lot of Very people true. that are hurting, and we, you know, you see them. You see them, Middle you know, the class. 60 and 70 year old people yeah. that should be, you know, going on trips and, and limit it up. And, and instead they're watching their dollars because things are expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, the dollar of 20 years ago isn't the dollar of today. That's so, a good point. you know, if they retired 10, 15 years ago, it's like all the, that money that they spent, it, it's been devalued by what, 10, 20% at least already. So it's like that money that they were planning for while, 20 years ago might have gone pretty far. It it doesn't. And that pains me too to see that where it's like, oh man, I wish like there's not much more you can do at this point. And it's so sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that, that was the mentality and it's like, it's not effective anymore. Well, it might be effective, but you have to save up like two, $3 million to have a comfortable retirement and have any semblance of like the future. And yeah. how do you do that when you're on maybe a decent wage, but rent or mortgages or property taxes, all of those things add up. And if you're lucky and you're putting away five, 10, maybe 15% of your income and nothing happened, you didn't have an emergency, you didn't have to withdraw from that. What does that even look like, right? Like to save $3 million if you didn't start in your early twenties is really difficult. Super difficult. Yeah. yeah. 
I did a lot of budgeting with clients and I do some budgeting now with my consulting clients. And it's very eye-opening for people what the percentages are of what they should be spending on housing, what they should be spending on themselves and what they should be saving. So tell us about that business because we're going to go into to Botany Box because yes. that's like, that's the coolest thing. And like the, the, I know you guys are super excited about that and I want to go into that in a little more depth, but tell us about Streamline because you went through uh, commission sales and then all of a sudden, like I had seen you around the office every so often. Yeah. I withdrew from the office for the most part. It was part. almost at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still there. I still, you know, pay to get in the office because even if I work from home, I, I still have to, I can still have an office there. Mm-hmm. The fee is the same. But all of a sudden I was like, oh, where's Ashley? Where, where'd she go? And then I was like, did you do that full time now? Yeah. It's really cool. So t- tell us about it. So Streamline Business Consulting was born... Uh, by me standing back and saying, how can I genuinely help people? What are my strengths and how can I take them to market essentially? Because I was a very, very heart-centered and successful lender and I really enjoyed what I did and I was really helping people for about the first three years. And you can appreciate when the mortgage rules changed, it was almost like overnight people had $100,000 less buying power, but the house prices were continuing to climb. So I found myself in more of an education standpoint. I was educating people and making reminders for myself to call them in six months or a year to say, we had a plan. You were going to save 5%. You were going to pay off this credit card. I was teaching them how to get into the right position, which was fantastic. But I still wasn't satisfied, feeling like I wasn't really helping people. So I left the bank in the fall. Uh, We had talked about it for, you know, just a couple of months and... So Streamline uh, is focused on accountability and productivity in businesses. I focus on entrepreneurs and commission sales reps after building two businesses myself in those areas. So I know what it looks like to set a goal and not just an annual goal, but to break it down weekly, monthly. What are the things that go into your success? So I talk to my clients about whether it's setting goals like networking events and outbound marketing and follow-ups, or if it's heart-centered business, kind of taking a boutique approach Um, and applying it to a bit of a bigger business. So appreciating your clients and providing value. And it's, I guess I'm a strategist in a sense. I help people to strategize in their business, set up workflow and really focus on what matters to them. That's super cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So you work with any, like you focus on uh, commission sales reps and um, sorry, what was the other? Anything sales related generally. Anything sales related. So a lot of like realtors, lenders, tradespeople, I love to go into an office and physically organize it as well. Uh, so you're like the organizational buff too. It's not just like sitting yeah. people down and telling yes. them like, this is what you need to do. Yeah. I hope you're accountable when I come yes. and see you again in two weeks. It's like you show them, break down down the systems into little parts. I have seen fear in entrepreneurs' eyes. I have held an entrepreneur's hands and said, we don't have shame in this house. Your office may be a mess, but that's because you're out there thriving, you're hands-on in your business. There's no shame. There's no embarrassment. I will do the the setup for you. I get a good filing system going. I get them on receipt bank. I get them doing maybe a little bit more digital versus paper. I just give them a system that's so usable and friendly. There's no reason to be scared. And then sometimes it's just following up monthly or every other month to sit down with them to say, how is it working? How are you finding the systems? Where can we tweak? And what's your goal? Now we can add we can add another layer, right? I work by project. I don't I don't believe in committing my clients to long-term plans. It's by project. Today we need to fix your office up. This is the project. And then the next project might be implementing this, this, and this system. And I'm a graphic designer by trade, so I've been doing 
logos, a little bit of website work, and just helping people to be visible. And what's the feedback been so far? Like what's what's next for Streamline and how does that correspond with Botany Box? And then let's let's go into that because it's yeah. super cool. But I want to know kind of like where, and, and Jesse, you can chime in as well. I want to know what your goal is with your company. Um, even obviously it can be simplistic. I know you guys have, probably have a lot of complex goals, um, but how do you see those two individual businesses working into the larger picture with Botany Box? Um, we've, we had, we actually, we've talked about this a lot at, at home and it's the way that we wanted to orient, like basically the way that we wanted to set up the, the entire package is a vertically integrated system. Um, okay. we want Streamline to be able to help Compass and Botany Box and pretty much just Streamline and Ashley, they, in my world have, have helped me period across the board. She's so organized. It's scary. Uh, his <laughs> office is cleaner than mine on like often days. Oh, that's He's awesome. digitally like savvy. A Shelby. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Working on that. <laughs> but, uh, with Compass, I mean, our, we're strategically trying to immerse ourselves into the production side of things, but, but mostly in a sense of, um, fruit farming and, and the, I mean, immediately it's been uh, cherry production. Okay. Yeah. They've, they've, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say in a sense, it's like these companies. So we're a self-financed startup. We have not taken a single dollar of loans or investments. And as we grow all of our businesses, it's cool that as Jesse says, Streamline feeds the botany box. I'm kind of the marketing and finance and numbers person. And Jesse's super mechanical and electrical is a big piece of the botany box. So our companies can facilitate right. those pieces. That makes total sense, actually. Right? So you kind of hire your own companies, which pleases the accountants and the lawyers because everything works very cohesively. And we get to keep doing what we love and substitute projects kind of not on the side, but I'm working for people. And then if there's a day that I have a bit of time to myself, it's full-blown Bonnie Box. Yeah. Super cool. Exactly. So why don't you tell the uh, the audience then, like – how did Botany Box start? What, start with what it is and then how you came up with this concept and, and what is the potential of this? Sure. The uh, Well, I'll start by saying this. Botany Box, what we're doing with, with Botany Box is taking um, shipping containers and turning them into artificially lit greenhouses. Uh, we're focusing on trying to grow anything from leafy greens to uh, small root vegetables. Um, but so far, the, our, our main take on this and the way that this started was actually wiring a gray market um, grow up right. for, for a gentleman. And, uh, and he had the idea to that he wanted to have a – he needed a quick room essentially. And he said, you know, wire up this C-can and make it work, do whatever you would normally do. So I did that. Um, and when I came back to him, I said, I, I, could, I could make this thing unbelievable for you. Uh, like automation, we could dial this thing in that you wouldn't have to come in here. And aside from checking on your plants, there's no more dragon hoses. There's no more wondering what the temperature or humidity or what, what, you know, what your feed water is doing. You, you would have all that information on your phone and cost was a factor. So he wasn't too interested in, in that at the time. Um, but the day after yeah, I actually finished that, um, that installation. Yeah. So it was an 18 hour push, uh, on that site came home, slept for a few hours and we had family in town and we drove out to Tofino and in Tofino, Ash had a salad and it was, it was subpar for, for the price. So immediately it was kind of, um, 
kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit and thought, man, well, I wonder where they're purchasing their vegetables from. And it turned out that everybody that I spoke to from Euclid and Tofino were purchasing their produce from the same guy. One man had the market on all of the produce, um, it, which is pretty high tourism, especially Absolutely. in the summertime. Yeah, so totally. He would be doing a lot of business, but his produce was... I would say somewhat subpar. And probably not to his fault, but by the time that you get it from the mainland and you I package see. it and you Ooh, ferry it. All the way it on the mainland. From what uh, we I'm gather. I'm assuming that's where he would get his produce from. Right, right. And uh, So he was a distributor. He just owned the market. He wasn't even growing it himself. That's, that's the right. way that it appeared to us. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So immediately I thought, man, this uh, this guy, I'll call him John. John could use a, he could use a, a sea can to grow these, you know, grow his produce and basically cut your shipping time down as well as now you can you can control your overhead or you control your your costs based on on the produce or on your production needs if you only need to grow based on your your raw data that you only need to grow 400 heads of lettuce to facilitate your business between uh, May and June well then you can do that or if you need less you can grow less or if you need to grow more well then you can do that as really well hones in on the waste side right Instead totally, of wasting yeah. lettuce that you can't use, you're only growing strategically by your numbers from previous quarters or years. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So that was the first, you know, that, that was where we really first got hooked and, and saw potential for this. Um, since then, we've scaled back and, and really started looking at the bigger picture. And in particular, you know, I know here in Kelowna or, you know, the valley, we'll say in the valley, you can, it, it's a really great growing um, area. You get nice warm spring, usually a, a pretty soft fall. And right. so a lot of, a lot of times you can get two or three growing cycles out of different produce through the season, especially if you have a greenhouse. But when, when you start looking a bit further north or even down south, um, you, you really lose that window. And what we're trying to target is the more harsh climates. So where people are having to ship in their, their produce um, from wherever it's being grown, depending on the time of year, we're trying to cut out the shipping. There's no need for it anymore. We have the the technology in today's age to not have to ship stuff, um, ship produce, say from here to uh, Northwest Territories or anywhere north of Edmonton, really. So what we're trying to do is facilitate small grocery stores. Um, we're doing this on a commercial level. So even in our prototype setup right now, which um, we've we've spaced out a little bit more to be able to facilitate more than just lettuce, but even still, we're just under 1,600 heads of lettuce in a 40-foot chipping container. Wow. Holy so it, like, yeah. saves a lot of space, too. Like, you obviously yeah, don't need these ginormous farms feet. anymore, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and, and you can grow it in, uh, in, like I said, harsh climates. So where you wouldn't even normally have a farm, say, uh, right along the exterior wall of a grocery store, you could stack two, um, one on top of another, and produce whatever you would need, depending on the size of the town. How do you account for, um, sorry, I have a nutrition background. So how do you account for, uh, like the nutrients that are in the soil? Like, where does that come from? That comes from your additives. So basically we try to use as close to organic as we can. Mm -hmm. So you're tough uh, word, which you can appreciate. Tough yeah. To use the word organic. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Exactly. Especially when you're not soil growing, it's not a, a typical farming, you know, it, it's not putting a seed in the ground and watering it and bringing it up. So you have to mix your nutrients. So we, we do that a lot similar to how a greenhouse would as well. Um, so you would mix each, we'll call it a batch of, of feed of nutrients 
and uh, and then that would get distributed. In this case, it's through a drip irrigation system. All monitored. Yeah. I guess that's all relative to because you you consider it's like okay, even if it is something that's planted in the ground but it's picked before it's ripe and then it's shipped and then it ripens in stores or with ethylene gas, then are you really getting that flavor? Whereas if you're having the convenience of it being right there, can you actually pick it when it's ripe and then have that superior flavor? That's right. Yep. And you've now allowed allowed it to come to term. So it's an actual finished product. So how much does one of these cost? We're getting into a whole like sales pitch here, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, they're customizable. So that's kind of the tough thing. There's not one cut and dry price per se. There are 10 foot, 20 foot, 40 foot units. You can have them fully automated where you could be in Hawaii controlling this thing from your phone. Right. So uh, Jesse is much uh, more advanced in the controls portion than I am, but you can control everything from nutrients to soil, um, levels and humidity and temperature and all of those things. Depending on what you're, what you're planting what you or to. what you're growing. So when Ash refers to soil, uh, we're talking more on a cannabis Moisture, level now. Moisture, sorry, yeah. So right. um, with the vegetable side of things, we're doing a drip irrigation, so soilless, and we're just going with the growing media. So, um, for a, so to answer your question, for a fully automated system in a 40-foot shipping container growing lettuce, you're looking at about 100 to 105,000 bucks. So, so can it can it grow multiple types of produce, or do you have one container per kind of type of vegetable that you want to grow? It would be produce, depending on the different produce that you were referring to. So, if it was uh, two, like let's say you wanted to grow lettuce and herbs. tomatoes and onions. Yeah. You would you would grow those in in separate containers. Each of those in separate containers. Yeah, so we're probably they, doing uh, lettuce, herbs, like those kind of style, like leafy so you greens can and stack anything leafy you can do right. together. Think right, lighting right. cycles too. Think the way that each of those vegetables would want to grow and the way they grow, whether it's up or out. Right. Yeah, because like different ones need different amounts of light. Just even if you're growing them organically in the backyard, right? Yeah, you okay, exactly. That makes sense. And you know, a lot of them need different um, climates as well. Anything from a different um, temperature to humidity. I mean, lettuce, uh, it, it grows best in the 60s. Uh, we're talking Fahrenheit, of course. But um, you look in, into tomatoes and, and they need a, a warmer climate to actually produce fruit. So so though you could grow them in the same container, it would probably be counterproductive to your That was your, what I was going to ask. Like, can, you, can you mimic different climates in the same container? You could fall, You could wall it. You, yeah, you could. We haven't, uh, we haven't actively done that yet. Um, we focused more on just having one, uh, efficient, uh, you know, effective climate, I'll call it. Yeah. And trying to, you know, focusing more on efficiencies than anything. Fair enough. Cause my curiosity comes from, cause it's like, I have a restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, like, it would be interesting if you could plop one of those up and now grow all of your own vegetables. Absolutely. Um, now your clients then do you focus mo- you said you focus obviously mostly on commercial. Is that more grocery stores? Do you focus more on distributors who are distributing your produce from there so that they can grow more? Or do you have a lot of like restaurant clients? And We don't have a lot of restaurant clients. We're focusing more on the commercial side of things right now because we are still a new company. So we're focusing on really tightening up our numbers. Um, and then, we, then we'll be able to bring that to a restaurant house and, and have some... Another one bites the dust. <laughs> Sound quality is getting worse and worse yeah. as we go. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Louder and louder. <laughs> so yeah, sorry. So 
Yeah, so uh, it is our plan this year, to, though, to uh, to start targeting restaurants. A lot of times, especially here in the Valley, we're finding that restaurants, the biggest, um, the, the biggest issue that we're finding is the space. So something that we are keeping in mind right now is to have a local uh, or a localized production center, I'll call it, and that would facilitate multiple restaurants without having to actually place a sea can right at your doorstep. But if you can be within three kilometers, we're finding that would be very effective. That's very interesting. Driving, harvesting. Don't get me wrong. If if you have the availability to put it at a at a restaurant, that would be ultimate. Um, then you could even uh, we've we've even thought of about as going going as far as to have um, video streaming um, from the restaurant. So while you're eating your meal or before you eat your meal, you can actually jump onto an app and see where no your way. produce is Wouldn't coming that from. Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be pretty cool. That goes along with that like farm to table movement because people are really interested in knowing like where the food comes from. Even if it's just um, like I have a good friend of mine that worked in Vancouver as an executive sous chef and they the restaurant she worked for was big into that farm to table thing. And, you know, they would spend hours and hours, you know, every month or two traveling to the farm. So all levels of the cooking, uh, the line would actually go to the farms and like pick lettuce and understand like, these are the different types of carrots. This is like what tastes differently. This is what dishes it could go with. And the farmers are educating. And so it's, it's interesting because that goes along with that same trend. People want to know where their food's coming from. I think we're increasingly getting a little bit weary about, you know, supermarket produce and being like, how old are you and yeah. where did you come from, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it's nice to know, you know, when something is local or when it exactly what you said, it, where does where did this come from? Yeah. Who grew it? You know, where was it grown? Um, what's the method that it was grown by? All of the information and, and everything. It's uh, It's very transparent as well and it's easy to be transparent when you're growing it this way. So I've got a, I've got an interesting question and obviously you guys are a new company. So there, there's obviously efficiencies that need to be found and I'm sure that's a continuous process and there's scaling that has to be done, um, as with any business that intends to grow. Um, so I'll, but I'll put you guys on the spot anyway. Um, so this, this gentleman from Tofino, you clue it, um, if you made a pitch to him and his basic response, he understands the value, but goes, Oh man, it's just, it's too expensive. How do you bridge that gap between something that you guys know is effective into something that is effective for him on a financial basis? How does that fit into the whole equation and where do you guys plan to go with that? We've talked leasing options. Okay. We've talked about taking on, and this is definitely down the road, but we've talked about taking on the potential to be able to lease these uh, to communities, businesses, uh, and that would alleviate the immediate cost. It would be a monthly ongoing cost that uh, obviously would be worked out. But that is a really great question. Yeah. It's just, that's always the struggle. Like when you're a new new business, it's like you, you roll it out and most of the time you don't have all the kinks figured out. And it's just like, you, you know, it's effective. And over time, I'm sure even a hundred thousand dollars, that investment is going to pay for itself. Absolutely. But how do like, it's, it's tough sometimes to bridge that gap being like, okay, well, how do I get him to purchase it? Right. So it's interesting, but you guys have a more like grand vision than just selling it, um, to someone like that, or even on a commercial basis, there's a deeper meaning behind all that. You guys have a, a deep vision for feeding the world and bridging that gap as well. Correct. 
It's definitely, uh, there's an education side to it. Imagine you could put a 10-foot can at schools and kids could see what it looks like to cultivate their own lunch that they then eat. That's super cool. Right? Kind of teaching them what that footprint looks like because we all have the best hopes, but what will our land look like in 10, 20, and 50 years? So if you could show them how to grow their own food, uh, what organic nutrient looks like, what eating healthy looks like, make it fun for them, right? If they're picking their own tomatoes, they're more likely to want to ingest them. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So the education piece and the the feeding the world thing, it's so sad that people don't get the opportunity to have great produce. We've uh, read articles about $70 watermelons up north and oh $10 heads of lettuce. We had friends joking that when they go up to, I think it's the Yukon, and they go to their friend's house for dinner, they say, what can we bring? And the friend says a salad, and they say, I'd rather bring the steaks because that's how expensive produce is in a community where it's shipped in and, you know, like the cost of gold, essentially. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Well, it's crazy. Like, that, it's, it's an access. It's like supply and demand, right? Like, where, where's the supply? It's that's not right. easy to come by. No, and everybody, you know, not everybody, but there's a, there's a lot of people up north that are you know, they, they have some access to it, but it's subpar in comparison to what we would have down here. And, and ultimately, um, in some of the locations, you just don't have the, the funds. So to be able to produce cost-effective produce without shipping, um, and still provide ultimately a better end product, um, which would also still provide some income for, Absolutely. For the person who's who's the end um, the end seller or the you know the, the producer up there, uh, wherever the, in the north it might be, it's a triple threat. It's a win win win. Absolutely. So that allows you know now instead of somebody having to eat a canned meal or a boxed meal, you could actually have a salad for the same price or less, which is that's the ultimate goal is to try and combat the northern. Um, food prices that are that are happening up there right now. Another question I have is, how do you combat the health regulations? Because you obviously, I would imagine there would be some sort of issue with restaurants growing their own produce in their in their box and then selling that or producing that and making that for customers. Or likewise, same thing with grocery stores. Like, are have you jumped in? Have you ran into that already? We haven't run into that yet. And um, really, the growing falls on the grower. So we may. Does that make sense? Like, right. But like, my thing is, you have to go through certain certification yeah. and clear certain regulations to even be able to get into a grocery Absolutely. store as a farmer, yeah. or even to be able to sell and put it into your sandwiches to sell to your Absolutely. And uh, your customers. The certification that uh, the. Body boxes get is um, a CSA. That's that's more of a but not a food safe. That's right. Yep. So where we're focusing, and this is this is where our currently this is where we are is we're we're a producer, so we're a producer of the of the vehicle for the growing. So currently, if somebody wants to be a grower, they would approach us and okay, what would you like to grow? Oh, I see. Okay, we will build that and outfit that for you. That's an ext- that's an extremely smart way to go about it, though, in my eyes as well. Because mm-hmm. I mean, on some level, you're not producing that full kind of package that people can just like buy it, plug into the system, and then they're good to go. So they would obviously have to hire somebody that's accredited and then go through the regulatory 
uh, standards to actually be able to sell what they're producing. That that's right. It's a whole facility. other company. Exactly. That's but a, that's, that's, but that's, that's very that's very interesting that you guys just step in as the uh, like we're providing you the vehicle, but we're not actually on the hook for any growing. That's super super smart way to grow about, especially when you're coming to scaling. Mm -hmm. That's right, and that allows us to ultimately um, help them create. Basically, think about it this way. We're trying to help somebody create a climate or an environment for them to be able to facilitate the growing need. So, which is why you're obviously going to distributors or actual farmers that know how to actually grow right now. That's right. Uh, the safety's on them. That makes it a lot easier on far, you. You know, singers sing and dancers dance. We're very good at, um, you know, electrically, we're very good at what we do. And, and same as Ashley, she's very good at strategically placing or purchasing, selling, um, customer relations. We're very good when it comes to building out what we're trying to facilitate. And ultimately, it's the same with a farmer. Most farmers, especially in today's world, if they're still in business, they're obviously probably pretty good at what they're doing. So why would I try and do his job? Everybody, you know, that way we have our need and we're, we're trying to meet, meet the needs of others um, to ultimately facilitate many farms anywhere that, anywhere that there's a need. It's so cool to see community rooftop gardens on a top, like not on the top of a condo building, but in um, in some scenarios to see a community garden and it's only 40 feet by eight feet versus needing a half an acre to feed said community. There would be some jobs that come out of having to harvest out of them. So Aboriginal communities, small communities, northern communities to see, you know, a few jobs created is is pretty neat, too. And then the food safe thing, it would be uh, like the licensing of a greenhouse or any other production facility, whatever that process looks like for a farmer would be, similar would be very that. similar oh, for okay. the body box. So it's still doable. It's within that lexicon. It's not like you're going into a brand new regulatory area where, you know, new laws have to be passed necessarily to, to do it. Right. Exactly. It's very interesting. I like that. I like the, the food, the food security side though, because that, that's, got to be one of the biggest propellants to your guys' business over time. Like the ability, you guys targeting the North mm -hmm. is so important or even just the South, like you said, you know, um, 10 hours North might have the same difficulty growing as, you know, two hours South. Mm -hmm. We all know how hot it gets in the Soyuz, like how many vegetables can really survive down in that, you know, 40 degree weather for weeks on end. Right. Exactly. On the flip side, I don't know if you did any growing yourself in the last couple of seasons, but to watch what happened to our plants in the backyard when the smoke rolled in from the wildfires. Oh, I've There's no it. photosynthesis. So the tomato plants were wilting. It was scary. It affected, it affected it scary. a lot of our, because uh, we use uh, like produce from local farmers yeah. uh, during the on season and then some that can grow in greenhouses during the off season as well. But yeah, it definitely affected. One of the main thing we saw was the quality of the tomatoes was gruesome. Did you find the taste or just Grew. the the way they looked? The taste was fine. Just yeah. the the appearance, uh, the shapes, the the color even too. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah. that was one thing. But more yeah, waste. it's way more waste. Yeah. Way more waste. And it's it's tough, especially like having one of the worst seasons fire-wise that we've had in a long time. As so if that wasn't bad enough. Yeah. yeah. It's unpredictable. Yeah. It isn't. And it's, it's heartbreaking to, uh, to hear what the farmers have gone through to have to actually, cause what they're giving you is the best of what they've got. And it's still, we're having to throw out some of it and to hear what they've actually had to throw out that you didn't even see is 
heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. No because that's how they make their living too. A lot of them. So right. exactly, one month can can smash their margins. Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, one week is enough. But it, let it, alone what, let alone what we just went through, which yeah. is yeah, month plus, right? So, well, it's really cool to see you guys taking the entrepreneurial spirit and and not only doing stuff that's meaningful. I mean, you guys have both come from. Uh, different points in your life to be like, how can I help someone first, but not, not just helping other people, but helping yourselves because there is a lot of empowerment that goes into that, right? Like you, you guys doing stuff for yourselves shows other people, look, you can do it too, but you guys have done it in such a strategic way that it's like, okay, we both have separate businesses and they both lend themselves to this. That in itself is efficient, <laughs> like regardless of how quickly you guys can scale it. I know you guys are going to be successful with it because it's such a cool concept um, yeah. and it lends itself to the world that we're heading in. It's a little bit of a, a scary picture on on a lot of different fronts, um, environmentally, food, food security wise, a lot of different reasons, right? But it's really interesting, and, and I think you guys will serve as inspiration for for a lot of people. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're we're trying our best. Um, but, yeah, you know, just keep moving forward one foot after another. Forward momentum, that's the, the saying of this year. And, uh, yeah, see how many how many people we can feed this year. That's cool. So before we uh, before we wrap up, David and I always have questions to ask the guests. So you guys can answer them as a team or you can answer them individually. It's, it's really up to you. Um, yeah, David always asks a, a question, and so, so you can go ahead, man. Uh, my question's pretty uh, pretty basic for starters, but just and I'll ask each of you, obviously, but uh, we'll start with Jesse. So what are you currently obsessed with? And I don't mean like it doesn't have to be broad. It can be super, super specific, <laughs> uh, like a new set of pajamas that Ashley just gave you that you, <laughs> you want to just live in all the time. I am, I am currently obsessed with um, relic tournament water ski boats. <laughs> Relic tournament I love it. water ski. I love yeah. it. This is the this is exactly the kind of shit I'm looking for. This is hey, break it down. Let's yeah, hear okay. it. Yeah, break it down. Okay, well, I'll give you. We'll back up here a couple of years. Um, I I had purchased a couple of old pickup trucks and was going to build a hot rod. Okay. We don't have a shop. Ash thought. You know, she said, "You're crazy. What are you doing? <laughs> we, we live near the water. You like the water ski? You've got a boat, which was at the time just a piece of junk." Um, she said, what are you doing? Like, fix that thing up. Get rid of the trucks. get your hot rod in a boat form. Right. Yep. I feel like that's pretty good wifing. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, totally. Yeah, that's paramount. It's that motivational <laughs> yeah. voice constantly being like, dude, come on. Yeah, it's a kick in the ass. And a smack upside the head. Figure it out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we, we took a 1990 Mastercraft Pro Star and completely gutted it down and redid the entire thing top to bottom. Basically, everything right now, aside from the engine, has been has been ripped out and redone. Um, and then we also have a 97 Malibu Tantrum that we're doing the same thing with, and it's more of a barefoot, uh, solemn skiing boat. And so that's that's where my head's at right now in, in the off time, trying to pick out uh, interior throwback colors. I love it. I we'll love have to it. send you some photos. <laughs> I was just going to say, the old school. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. What, what was the term again? Um, relic? Yeah, relic tournament. Relic well, tournament ski boats, and you have you have uh, you have aspirations, obviously, to put these in competitions or um, more. I think just more shows. I, I'd like to put one of them at least this year into the Kelowna Boat Show, 
in the past few years, I haven't seen any ski boats in there. It's been a lot of, a lot of wake boats and surf boats and which are equally awesome, but, uh, nothing, you know, no, I'll call them resto mods for lack of a better term. Nobody's been, been fixing up the old, the old girls. So. It's like it. humbling when someone who has like a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollar boat stops you on Kalamalka Lake to talk about how great your relic tournament ski boat is. Like, wow, that's done. The people so nicely. that know though, no, they know. They're yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah, whoa, that's awesome. That's yeah, because a lot of these people grew up skiing behind that or seeing them or you know the people that they would idolize if you know for a lot of tournament skiers and and that's that's my jam in the off time slalom skiing is it's my favorite pastime in the summer and a lot of the guys that were growing up in the 90s that saw all the pros skiing at the time behind those boats they they know it they recognize so it's pretty cool that's neat are you gonna brand it botany box (laughs) we could do a really cool green one yeah like a modern spin on an old older concept maybe We've talked about it actually doing uh, green on the on the uh, one that we're working on right now. Build a boat out of a shipping container and grow <laughs> produce in it. <laughs> now we're talking. Just barge yeah. along. Awesome. So wait, you're done skiing. Who's hungry? Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking mojitos. Like, what if we got some mojitos oh, going out yeah, of this? Yeah, yeah. 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 muddling. Yeah. I'm sure Kelowna consumes enough mojitos to necessitate yes. a whole shipping container. Yeah, no yes. thinking about it. A floating shipping. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, you could just start an on-the-water business in the summer. Just That's like right. I'm surprised. Shipping container on the water. Who's got the mint? We do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what are you obsessed with, Ashley? I feel like this is going to be so cliche, one. And two, how do you follow relic tournament ski boat? <laughs> you don't. Um, I'm actually... You're going to have to forge your own I know. on this one. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a podcast junkie. I, That's awesome. I have an addiction to podcasts. All right, I've let's listened. get down to the nitty gritty. Which podcast? Oh, okay. Well, obviously, Small Town Wealth. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely listen. Uh, I was kind of fangirling when I came home. I was like, yo, we're going to be on a podcast. And he's like, really? Like... Um, but for me, it's anything Tony Robbins, uh, because if you can pump people up like that and really change their life, that's incredible. Rachel Hollis has the rise. Her and her husband are kind of like power couple building businesses together, and that really resonates with me. And then uh, there's another one called Brooke Castillo, and she's a life coach that's just super to the point. Like each podcast is about 25 minutes, and it focuses specifically on something like productivity, getting out of the whirlwind, you know, victim syndrome mentality, just things like do what you have to do and stop complaining, essentially. Just digestible information. Yep. Super quick. I drive to Kelowna for my clients, so 25 minutes is a perfect podcast, and... I definitely consume probably three parts podcast to one part music. It's become that way for me too. Before I used to have to go like a month of podcast and then I'd be like, uh, I'm sick of listening to people talk. Um, especially if like we're doing a lot of podcasts at the time, it's like I'm sick of hearing myself talk. Um, but yeah, and then it's just like definitely recently podcasts have like drowned out the music. It's it's weird that way. It becomes addicting to learn from you know, books, books are neat. I, I listen to audiobooks too, but, um, they're a very, uh, edited and very over just, what do you call it? Like a filtered version yep. because it's like having to go through all these processes. It's been edited. And like, yeah. But podcast is like straight out of the mouth and largely it's, it's unfiltered and it's unedited and you get to hear people's actual conversational skills. Absolutely. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Do you have any podcasts that you listen to that are more like leisure and not personal development related mm. like comedy si- side I, of things because like i never used to venture out personally yeah. like i was Business. always into like 
business or personal development podcasts only. And then I recently started getting into a few from Barstool Sports and just absolutely hilarious. And it's cool to just kind of escape for a minute because sometimes, especially on long drives, because I was never a person that switches to music. Like I just like, I like to constantly be hearing stuff. Yep. So I, uh, it's nice to be able to switch from like the business, especially if it's a long drive, like to Vancouver or something like that. And you want to like listen to a little bit of business and then you switch to like one that makes you laugh or something like that. And you can just kind of. I've had so many recommendations for even like those crime story ones, like where you hear, I've heard they're incredible. So I feel like that's my challenge leaving here is to look up something that I can mix in that will bring a bit of humor or um, maybe remove me from the business aspect, even for that 30 minutes. So I don't listen to anything that is not business related. There's one that's clickbaity for our name of the podcast because ours is Small Town Wealth, but there's one horror-wise. I can't remember if it's Small Town Murder or Small Town Horror. Yeah, it's something like that. It's something oh, like okay. that. It's the first one that pops up when you write in Small Town. I'm like, oh, these guys. <laughs> yeah, we need yeah. to get on top of them. We're like, yeah, Apple Podcasts, like Small Town reviews. Horror or something. I think it's Small Town Horror, yeah. if I'm yeah. not mistaken. But okay. Yeah. Have you listened to Small Town Horror? No, I haven't. Oh, no. Are you kidding? They're clickbaiting us. I'm not going to I'm not gonna listen to our competitors. I'm going to get ahead of our competitors. You know? Yeah, as soon as, like, Small us. comes up, ours comes up. That's what we want. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Or just, like, exactly. S. Maybe S. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a little much to ask there. I mean, yeah. but hey, you know, I like the ambition. I yeah. really do. I really do. So awesome. That's cool, though. Um, so I have, um, I have a last question. Again, you can answer it separately or together. Um, a little more broad based. So someone has come to you for advice, and they're they've just graduated high school. They don't know what to do with their life, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe there's some pressure from their parents to to, you know, go the university route or go into trade school and they're just kind of nervous about the world in front of you, what kind of advice do you give them? I have nieces that are young. Uh, My nieces, uh, one is just in the ninth grade and I have told her on more than one occasion, this is going to mean nothing down the road. Like find your thing and be passionate, but don't worry about people's opinions. Um, don't worry about what you're supposed to do, do what feels right. And I'm not saying slack off and beg off and, and don't go to school, but forge forward on the path that you want. Because I went to college because I was told I was supposed to, I stood in the guidance counselor's office and they said, you have to go to post-secondary. And I looked at my report card and I had a 96 in marketing and I was like, okay, well I'll do that, I guess. But I never had a path. And I'm not upset that I went to school, but I went because I was told I was supposed to do it. So it was just the thing to do. If I could go back to my high school self, I would just say, like, be yourself. And anyone who doesn't appreciate you, support you, and, like, fiercely care for what you're trying to do is not someone who's going to be in your life in one, three, or five years. Very cool. What about yourself? I uh, I, I think it ultimately depends on, on the person asking. Um, definitely, well... The grass is greenest where you water it, as they say. So if you're good, if you're mechanically um, inclined, then maybe focus on that route as opposed to going into the office side of things. And really, I mean, for me, getting into trade school, it was it was all about uh, it was all about dollars and cents. I had a teacher in high school who drew a line on the board and said, if you're going to go to college or university, he used rough figures. Said, okay, you're going to spend, spend, spend this this much per year. And uh, he said, if you go to trade school, the way that it's laid out, you, you, you earn when you're not in school. And when you are going to school, you're also allowed to, um, you can also apply for uh, um, POGI. So you, you still had an income, unemployment, sorry, while you were, right, still had right. an income while you were in school. Did you say POGI? Yeah. POGI. I don't yeah. know what that actually means. No? 
What's the, what is it shortened down to? I'm not sure. Yeah. That's that's. I, I've only ever heard it. Just yeah. another word for yeah, 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 exactly. I think it's yeah. an Ontario that's term cool. now. It, yeah, it could be. It could be. <laughs> we learned first, something. Like, is at, it? First, at first, I thought you said hoagie. I was like, oh, like the yeah. sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, so yeah. Um, yeah. So right. he drew a line on the board and basically showed uh, the the. It came down to dollars and cents. If, if you took a trade, uh, the difference worked out to about a quarter million dollars uh, over the course of five years. And I liked the idea of getting into a, uh, a field that I was going to get a raise every year for five years. I, I worked in a union environment and it came down to I'm 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 mostly money driven. I I love making money. I, it's one of my favorite things to do. It's uh, I immerse myself in that. It's that's your you love know. language. Money is your love language. Yeah, it's not all about saving for me. It's make more. That's uh, that's the biggest focus. You can't hang on to it. So just make more. Um, so if I were to talk to somebody, you know, a, a young uh, young person coming out of high school right now, I'd just say be prepared to work your ass off and just work your ass off in whatever you think is going to propel you the furthest. And then anything else that comes along, you need to be you need to be prepared to pivot and pick up skills along the way. But you have to have something to build off of. You can't just go and do whatever you want. Um, it's it, don't do anything fluffy. Basically, focus. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for for coming in. Um, you're both very inspirational. I like that you guys come together in your vision. I've I've said it a couple times in this podcast already, but you guys are a really interesting example of um, being entrepreneurial to an extreme but in a way that you guys complement each other and you guys show love to each other in that way. And you've taken something that a lot of people will think like, oh, you know, if, if someone wasn't listening to the previous part of the podcast and they, they heard you talking, it's like, oh, well, he's just fixated on money. It's like, that's not the whole side of the, the coin because you're supporting Ashley and you're supporting a greater vision. And the dollars and cents that come out of that greater, greater vision is the byproduct, right? But it's really cool to see, and I wish you guys nothing but the best, and, and I'll definitely be there. I'm sure David and Clinton will be there supporting you guys along the way, so it's it's been a pleasure. Like, thank you for sharing your your wisdom with us. So Thank you for yeah. having us. Yeah, yeah thanks sure. very much, guys. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was, uh, it was super cool to hear all about the uh, how you guys got going and uh, the fun little stories in between, and uh, definitely, definitely interested to see where... Uh, where the rest of your ventures take you, it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild ride. I'm excited. The next year ahead is gonna be pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. We'll have you guys back for sure. We've got Looking the, forward uh, to it. Some things in the pipeline, definitely. Oh, we've got more material. Yeah, oh yeah, 2. we've got 0. things to talk about. And in the about. meantime, I get to be a podcast junkie and listen to my own podcast. That's pretty cool. <laughs> totally. Yeah, you'll you'll get over that part where it's like I hate myself when I talk. Is it? But yeah. you get over it. It's like, oh, okay, that's just how I sound. <laughs> it's less like traumatic. The first time you hear, you're like, oh, yeah. oh really? Man. Other people have to put up with that. <sighs> yeah, exactly. It's awesome. awesome. But yeah, it was a pleasure. We'll definitely Thanks, have you guys back on. Keep in touch. I'm sure we'll be in touch with each other. And, and yeah. Yeah, definitely. Talk to you guys soon. You bet. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thank you.